Welcome to FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and insurance sports podcast. I'm Kevin Hines. We're brought to you by Wenting's Cycle and Mission. Here's your Wenting's word of the week. It is frame. Mention that word to Bruce or any staff member the next time you are at Wenting's and you'll win a prize. It's just that easy. Once again, your Wenting's word of the week is frame. We're also brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. With all the changes in the world, there's still things you can count on, like the value of consistency. You want to get fast? Just keep doing it. Not only is swimming, biking, and running great for your physical health, it's also a key element of our mental health. And to help keep you stay motivated and get the most from your training time, TriJoy is here to help. We'll get you to work with effective and personalized training sessions and also give you the support you need to achieve them. Email for your free in-person consultation. It's TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. See the link at the bottom of this page. On our program today, Abbotsford Triathlon Club coach Mikey Ross will be checking in for another edition of his top five list. He'll be talking about one of his favorite topics, food. And I'll be dropping by for some running advice on the Fit Tip of the Week. But first off, if you're like many triathletes on the planet, you're probably more than just a little bit bummed out that the entire, entire triathlon season is toast. And as crushed as you may be about it, like almost all triathletes on the planet, you probably don't earn a living from the business, and it is a business. Well, our next guest does, and has been for the past five years. She can be seen in the rain, in the wind, and in the sunshine of a lot of triathlons here in BC. She's the owner and race director for Dynamic Race Events. What does it mean when your meal ticket blows up in a heaping bowl of COVID-19? What does she do to pay the bills when there's no racing going on? And where the heck do all those unused finishers, t-shirts, and swim hats go? Let's find out as we chat with Angie Woodhead. Angie, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to speak to us today. Absolutely. It's the best best we can do uh, instead of being in person at races. Yeah, it's uh, my pleasure. So, so unusual times right now, and uh, we're going to get into your role as a, a race director in this COVID-19 craziness that we've had to experience for the past four months. Uh, but uh, let's go back a little bit into your history. Um, we were just talking a little bit off microphone about your growing up all over Western Canada and spending some time in Ontario and, and then overseas. But before you got into this whole business of uh, putting on triathlon, what were you doing? Um, so I've always been an independent business owner uh, prior to Dynamic Race Events. In partnership with my mom, we started, owned, and operated a two-location tanning salon uh, business in Victoria for 16 years. So the idea of running your business and basically having the buck stop with you or in some cases with your mom, that was something uh, that wasn't brand new to you at all. Um, no, not at all. Uh, growing up, my mom and I actually always talked about being in business together. So, you know, our ideas and, and thoughts and always aligned. And so it's something we, we decided to do. What we decided to do was, you know, didn't matter. We just knew we wanted to work together and that worked really well. Um, so, yeah. So when I carried on into this venture, it was 
not foreign to me to be the one who was, you know, making the decisions and doing that kind of stuff. When I was talking a little bit earlier, I was talking to another independent business director, uh, a business owner turned race uh, race director, and he said, you know, one of the one of the qualities, one of the prerequisites, almost to becoming a, a triathlon race director, is a solid background in business, and obviously you have that. Uh, a lot of people, you know, might think they want to be a race director because they've got a passion for the sport, which will obviously only take you uh, so far. And um, tell us about how you made the transition from being the owner of uh, some tanning salons into becoming uh, a race director. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been involved. Uh, I've been involved in race production for five or six years now. Um, I was lucky enough through personal relationships to be introduced to this crazy profession. Having dabbled in some triathlon races as an age grouper for a few years beforehand, I was able to bring my point of view from an athlete's perspective and then learn and acquire the skill set from there and uh, surround myself with some really amazing team players along the way to be able to produce some fantastic events. Tell us some of your, uh, your more memorable races as an athlete. Let's see. I think my first open water swim race was Seanigan Lake. And I, I'm not a swimmer. I'm not a, I, I learned how to swim after I signed up for a half iron. Oh, no. So, um, <laughs> so my very first open water swim race was at Seanigan Lake back when uh, the Subaru Western Series uh, had it there. And um, it was a very foggy cloudy, cold, wet day in Seanigan, and I set off for my first sprint race, and I swam directly into the white uh, marker in the water. Ooh. And thought, this is how my day is going to end. Oh. And it didn't. So I, I, I finished. It was okay. I recovered. But I think I drank a good portion of Seanigan Lake that day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so, so many things. You learn so much or should learn so much in that first experience, you know, first time for a lot of athletes putting on their wetsuits and then, you know, the, the crazy things that can happen from the moment, you know, you get into the parking lot and start unloading your car. Did you bring your wetsuit? Did you bring your helmet? And all that other things that I'm sure that you've heard time and time again as a race director. Did anybody remember to, you know, that sort of thing? So, so you started off with the sprint distance over at Shawnigan Lake and um, what was your first job working actually as a, as a person on a race crew for a, for a triathlon? Um, I think the first event that I worked would have been uh, doing some registration services at Cultus Lake in 20, I want to say 2014. So, um, and then it was a, it was a slippery slope into the creation of dynamic race events from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, of course, dynamic race events, previously known as outback events, have been uh, a staple of the British Columbia. In fact, the the Western Canadian triathlon scene for uh, quite a few years. I think we're going on what fourteen or fifteen. So maybe Angie can tell us about some of. I know this is all kind of uh, in retrospect, but uh, tell us about some of the races that you do have on your schedule in an ordinary year. Sure. Um, you know, so dynamic race event isn't that old. Uh, I think our fifth birthday would have been uh, in September this year. So, you know, we are a young company still. That said, we do produce a few legacy events, such as um, the Wine Capital of Canada Try and the All Over Half Iron in the South Okanagan. This year, I believe, would have been the 17th annual. 
Um, we also produce the Cultus Lake Triathlon in the Fraser Valley, which is always a very popular end of season good time. Though the last two years it's been an end of season good time in biblical rain events. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but everyone seems to make the best of it, so that's great. Uh, in addition to those events, in the last five years, we launched the Westwood Lake Triathlon in Nanaimo, which boasts what we like to call the fairest sprint and standard distance bike course in Western Canada. Um, and by fairest, we mean we make sure everybody's working hard on that bike course. So yeah, fair. <laughs> I think you've done that one a time or two, haven't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Going honest, back to right? that. It's an honest bike course. An honest bike course, and the year that you had that laid out as a half Ironman, my goodness, that was that was up there with the Iron Mountain Triathlon back in Maple Ridge back in the early 2000s. A, a tough, tough course, and you know that uh, the run course, or should I say, run hike course, is uh, is something very memorable. Yeah, we. Uh, I think we only did the half iron there the one year. I think one gentleman crossed the finish line and said he'd raced in St. Croix, which has a reputation for being incredibly difficult. And he used some very specific four-letter words before, but said it was a very it was it was more difficult than St. Croix. So <laughs> e- even more honest um, in the words of Angie, more a, a more yeah, honest and more fair. honest. <laughs> athletes honest um and finally we we have the distinct privilege of hosting the elk lake triathlon in victoria which is actually the longest running triathlon in canada it was formerly known as the self yeah formerly known as the self-transcendence triathlon and was put on by the uh great people at the sri chimoy marathon team uh before their organizing committee who i think the average age was probably somewhere over 70 decided that uh it was getting a little bit too hard to keep hosting events year over year and, and organizing that. So we uh, we took over the date and the venue, and uh, it's it's always a, a favorite on the August long weekend there in Victoria. And what I like about your races is for uh, those folks, uh, myself included, who, who might not be the most gifted or uh, diligent of swimmers, um, for a lot of these races, not only are you offering, of course, the different distances of triathlon, but you're also offering duathlon options in some cases, as well as another up-and-coming sport. And I think this is going to have a, a real big future in time as uh, some of our participants get a little bit older and running doesn't become an option. And you've got what I believe is called the Aqua Bike. We do. Um, we started adding the Aqua Bike. I want to say it was probably at least four years ago. Um, we had a lot of athletes reaching out to us, saying, "You know, like, I, can I just can can I register and just drop out after the you know after the swim and, and bike portion? Like, I just I want to race." And so we'd always come back and say, "Well, we have a relay option." They they say, "Yeah, you know, but it just doesn't feel the same as that individual accomplishment." of I did this on my own. And some people love relays and some people like the, the individual piece. And mm-hmm. so we, we kind of had to look around to see what some other other races around North America were doing. And, and the aqua bike seemed like a really cool option. Um, you know, it's grown year over year. And, and I think that's one of the pieces that we want to figure out a little bit more how we celebrate those athletes when they finish. Because right now it's a, it's a, you know, you're done when you come into transition and there isn't that finish line feeling so much and so that is that's something on my that's something on my whiteboard and uh that i that i'm looking at to figure out how we make that a little bit uh, more of a 
to the, the finish. Yeah. So, but and, uh, it's been great. Mm-hmm. And of course, having that duathlon option for the folks who are, you know, swim resistant or for whatever reason can't do the swim. I mean, you know, getting as many people into as many distances and as many options is, uh, and that puts a, that puts a tremendous burden on the race organizers because you've got so many different things going on at the same time. I mean, you have to be wearing five different hats at any one event, it seems like. Yeah, we refer to it as juggling chainsaws. <laughs> <laughs> chainsaws, yes. So it's just a lot of moving parts, right? But it's all about uh, preparation beforehand and staggered starts and, and making sure we have enough people on the ground to keep everybody safe. So what would be your uh, drug of choice when you're uh, juggling chainsaws? Would it be aspirin or would it be caffeine? <laughs> Definitely caffeine. <laughs> Now, when we look at the races, we've got uh, two on Vancouver Island. We've got one here in the beautiful Okanagan Valley that's been running for 15, 17 years. And, of course, the one over at Cultus Lake. Now, I mean, they're traditionally Western Canadian, British Columbia races. But um, in your experience as being race director and handling all those registrations, do you find that you're getting many American athletes? Um. Yeah, we, I mean, like you said, we, we mostly draw from Western Canada. We have a really large contingent of athletes that come out from Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Alberta, down from the Yukon. Um, and we do draw some American athletes from the Pacific Northwest states. Uh, not, not as much as we, we'd like to see. And I think that that's, you know, as we, as we move on and talk about some of the things, I'm sure that'll come up as to what this, uh, opportunity of COVID has, has presented to us. But, um, you know, the really cool thing is, is we've had a contingent of the University of Oregon triathlon team has come up the last couple of years to race at Westwood Lake and give, you know, and take some hardware home. Mm-hmm. Go Ducks. Um, <laughs> super cool to see them come up and give our collegiate athletes up here some good competition. So, you know, it is getting out there. There is some, some more buzz in the universities down there that have tri-teams to come up to Canada and race. So, yeah, it would be nice to see some more. The American dollar goes further up here. So there is a, you know, we do have a group from Bellingham that comes up. There's the, the Seattle Tri Club. So we do see some of them come up and be able to spend some of their dollars in our communities and in, in, you know, the Okanagan and on Vancouver Island. And, and uh, they get a bit more bang for their bucket, some of our events, uh, than they do down south. Yeah, absolutely. And in the future, um, you know, once this whole COVID-19 crisis passes and things resume to whatever, I guess, normal is going to look like in 2021, 2022 and beyond that, it would be uh, be great. And, you know, um, from a participant's perspective, it's always nice to beat the pants off a Yankee or, uh, you know, it's motivation when you see that American flag coming up on you. So it, it adds something to the races for sure. Absolutely. More competition, the better, right? Absolutely. Um, so like I was alluding to a little bit earlier, 2020, what a, what a crazy year. Um, you've had to make a lot of hard decisions. Uh, I suppose the first few weren't as difficult, you know, earlier season races. You've got mm-hmm. the one over on uh, in Nanaimo rather in May. And then, of course, the first uh, half Ironman of the season over in Oliver. But then you had those races in August and then the Cultus Race Lake in September. So um, who is all part of your decision-making team to, to make these tough, tough decisions to not go ahead for this year? Yeah, um, you know, it's been a really, it's been a really, I, I described the last few months as riding the COVID coaster. Mm. Um, it's, it's really been challenging. And 
Um, through the middle of March, I was in constant communication with just a trusted group of professionals that, uh, that I trust implicitly to help make decisions moving forward, as well as our stakeholders in the communities where we host these events. Um, you know, I can sit around and, and think about what we're going to do all I want, but at the end of the day, those communities have to have some input uh, as well. Ultimately, I think it's really important for people to note that events and organizers and race directors, for the most part, were just the messengers in this COVID cancellation situation. You know, we may have had a lot of conversations behind the scenes trying to figure out how we were going to deal with this, but those decisions were made for us in a lot of cases. We didn't cancel those events. The local health authorities, the ministries and the jurisdictions who issue our permits and our event insurance made those decisions. And we unfortunately had to make the announcement of that. Um, yeah, so after the forced cancellations in Westwood and Oliver, that, that really left us with, an, with enormous losses and sunk costs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I started really trying to have a look at the long game and how we could or would be able to move forward from there. Um, with, with all the uncertainty at, at that time, uh, I think it was sort of mid to late April, I needed to make the decision as to whether or not we would cross our fingers and spend resources, both in time and money, on continuing to plan Elk Lake and Cultus Lake when we really had no guarantee that, that those would be able to act, we'd be actually able to host those events. Uh, and what that would mean for those registered athletes, the registration dollars, and ultimately at the end of the day, the future of dynamic race events in 2021 and beyond. So I was just going to say, so the first couple of decisions, as you were as you were saying, were kind of made for you through the health authorities. But then looking down the road, you had to, you know, you had to take stock of what was in the best interest of the company. I mean, these races in September, maybe things would have turned out, but maybe they wouldn't. And if you look around, some of the races who have decided to go ahead or tried to go ahead, for example, this week, I think we had a cancellation of a race in, in Texas, a 70.3 event, mm-hmm. and those folks were ready to go. And um, in retrospect, probably a, a very wise decision on your part, better safe than sorry, take your losses for 2020, but do that in the hopes that you're going to be um, alive and surviving in 2021. For sure. I mean, you know, there's, there's so much to consider. And ultimately, our, our number one focus, you know, COVID or not, is athlete safety, crew safety, volunteer and community safety. And if we can't plan for it and ensure that we can mitigate as many of those foreseeable risks, then we have to make the call to not produce. You know, from there, other considerations that really came up as we moved through the process that, you know, even if we could, even if we were able to produce, you know, what kind of PPE would we need on site and would it be feasible and affordable? You know, how would we alter the aid stations for COVID safety and still be able to provide aid to, to up to athletes' expectations? Um, and, and would recruit enough volunteers in these super uncertain times and specific to Oliver, would it really be socially responsible for us to bring 2,000 plus athletes, spectators, families, mm. crew to a community that has as high a number of its population considered considered vulnerable sector uh, as it relates to COVID and really limited medical facilities? So, you know, the the list of things of what we're considering is is long. It's very long. 
So um, how are you able to, to make a go of it? I mean, um, Dynamic Race of Bands has been around for a while, um, obviously putting on great quality events. Um, how do you make money nowadays, Angie? Um, well, <laughs> so as far as, as far as, you know, we worked within the company to mitigate our losses as best we could, um, to do everything that we can to ensure that we're back to early morning swim starts and satisfying finish lines in 2021. So, so far our business has not qualified for a single penny of assistance that's been offered through government programs. So we've, we really are doing all that we can to ensure our viability moving forward. You know, the, that means that, you know, you know I've, I've had to, to pivot personally. and um, So you got you know, a part-time normally, job or what? Well, normally I work year-round on our events. Yeah. my only full-time job. You know, contrary to a popular opinion out there, when we <laughs> pack up our trailer in Cultus Lake, uh, everyone says to us on our way as we're rolling out, you know, have a good few months off. Yeah. Um, that's not what happens. Uh, our next season planning and preparations are well underway at that point, And we have much to do to put to bed the previous season, but with COVID and trying to do everything I can to keep us here for 2021, I'm now working a full-time job outside the sport and outside events to support my family without drawing from the company. And how's that going for you? Did did you find it difficult? Because I mean, you experienced, and in fact, you were by the sounds of it, you were looking for work during this whole COVID nineteen crisis when jobs were kind of drying up in Calgary. I mean, <laughs> Calgary's not the hot spot to go for employment nowadays. It's not. <laughs> so how did you manage? What nope. did you get? What did you get going? Um, I'm just working in an administrative position right now, kind of trying to take my transferable skills and and help out another small business and their organization and management and um you know trying to set out some some programs for them and and help out where i can while i'm you know drawing an income to to support my my kids and my household so um it's been it's been a challenge and i'm not going to say that it's been a super easy transition Mm. to working on somebody else's schedule and timeline but i think it's a testament to the fact that everyone right now has to do what they have to do. You know, I want to be producing events in 2021 and I need to pay my bills. So this is how we're going to do this. Yeah. And if it takes a, a lot of extra work under these most unusual circumstances, obviously you're putting in the time, the hours, the effort, and you know, we are going to get through this one way or the other. And we're certainly looking forward to uh, whatever 21 presents us in whatever format it is. So, uh, I mean, we're just so grateful that folks like you who have been, you know, sponsoring events over the years, over the generations that, uh, you know, British Columbia and Albertan triathlons have been able to to basically just sign a check or give a person a visa number and be given, you know, the privilege to raise at an event. And you're bearing uh, the brunt of uh, a lot of the, uh, the heavy lifting right now during this COVID-19 crisis. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to uh, for for people to know. Like, I truly feel like being able to produce events for people to come to is a privilege. The fact that I get to make a living from it is pretty fantastic. Uh, there's a, there's not a large group of people in Canada who get to say they do this full time. Yeah, uh, much more so in the states where the climate uh, allows for year round racing down there, but uh, in the, some of the southern states, but. Um, it's a privilege to be able to do this, and and I consider it that way. So yeah, it's uh, got to do what we got to do to get through to the other side of it. 
just a couple of minutes ago, you were talking about this myth that a race director's job, you know, once Cultus Lake wraps up and the finish line is torn down, you go off and sit Mai Tais in Kona for a couple of months. And of course, uh, anybody who knows, you know, the production of races, and it is a, a year round thing, just like you're always training for something, you might be changing what you're doing in training, but a race director's job is, is rarely ever done. But uh, I, I'm just thinking, um, so you've had these races, and of course, a lot of this stuff, a tremendous amount of this stuff is done in advance. So what, what's happening with the t-shirts, the medals, the, the swim hats from all those events that we're supposed to be running this year? Yeah, well, my garage currently is sitting full of all the swim caps we've ordered for the season. So uh, my garage has transformed a little bit because um, those were already on the ground. As far as our t-shirts and medals, um, I ordered direct from source for those, for all of our shirts and medals. So those were prepaid for our first two events. That said, we were really, you know, if we can find some silver linings and, 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 and those little pieces along the way, we were really lucky that while they were prepaid, our shirts had yet to be screened and our medals had yet to be cast. Oh. So we will be able to apply those funds to our 2021 orders and designs. But unfortunately, we were unable to get the money back from it because they were already paid for so that's where that sits. So the nice thing is, is I'm not sitting on a whole bunch of dated shirts and medals. Um, but that, like you said, there's a lot of things that are prepaid in these events uh, that we don't get our money back for. Therefore, we don't have it to give back to people when our events are forced canceled within 90 days. So yes. that's where that sits. And, um, you know, I think that it's... A, we were lucky on one hand that we aren't an organization that has a large contingent of employees that needed to be laid off because all of our, um, all of our crew. And I just want to say all of our amazing crew who mm -hmm. make our events happen. Yes. They're all independent contractors. Okay. Um, so while we don't have year round employees, we annually contract upwards of 20 to 25 people across our series. Uh, and it's been really difficult. It's been a really difficult time um, knowing that, in addition to disappointing athletes, we've also had to cancel contracts and people's livelihoods. And that's affected so many people across the board. Our crew are a pretty amazing bunch of dedicated, loyal, hardworking, fun people. And I, you know, just as much as I miss seeing the athletes, I truly miss seeing them in person this year. Yeah, and they're such a dedicated and enthusiastic bunch of people. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot with a question. I was here in the Okanagan the weekend that uh, Oliver was supposed to be happening, and I was saying to my wife, Elise, um, here it is, it's 10 o'clock, and for the past 14 years, we've been all in Oliver, coming out of the water at about this time. But I wasn't thinking about us. My question was, what the hell do you think Steve King is doing right about now? <laughs> question oh, good question yeah it was a really odd weekend for me i think that was the first weekend in six years that i wasn't on the beach uh you know either blowing the horn to start the race or in transition clearing it to get everyone down to the water you know i, I went out and rode my bike that weekend and, and was pretty quiet and mm. just sort of took it in and let it happen it was uh it was a pretty bittersweet weekend. Absolutely, yeah. I was thinking about that. Even though the weather was fine, it's just uh, there was a bit of a hole. I mean, I went same as you, Angie. I went out for a bike ride. It's like this is different. And as nice as yeah. it is, is to, to just go out for a bike ride, you know. Uh, and and that's one thing 
uh, my boss over at Triathlon Magazine Canada was talking about. Um, you know, what is it that makes a triathlete a triathlete? And, and such a big part, I mean, obviously it's the training, it's the lifestyle, it's the social aspect, but there's such a big part of being a triathlete that is signing up, training for races, and then going yeah. and racing, right? And uh, without those right. races, we'd just be a bunch of, you know, silly people in brightly clothed lycra, lycra rather driving around on our bicycles and yeah so i mean the the race component to a triathlon's uh triathlon's life uh, is massive um yeah absolutely and i people are missing that for sure yeah and these virtual races i mean uh there's been a few attempts and i know that the ironman corporation is putting on some of those events uh you know it's it's an outlet for you know uh the training and for that you know, uh, competitive streak in a lot of us, and there is, of course, Zwift, but uh, it's it's obviously not the same. <laughs> um, you were talking a little bit earlier no. about your amazing cast of volunteers, and one of the people who's been you know through thick and thin with you is, of course, that amazing ball of energy, Macy. So, what is Macy now <laughs> doing with all of her spare time on the weekends this year? Yeah, well, many of our athletes have gotten to know my youngest daughter, Macy, over the last five years. Um, she's come to races and been on site with our crew at 4 a.m. on race day, smiling, helping with race tattoos and registration and finish line. Um, she's actually turning 14 tomorrow. Wow. And yeah, and we live in Alberta, so that means she gets her learner's permit. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I don't see any gray hair yet, Angie. Is that going to be on Monday or Tuesday? <laughs> Yeah, give it a couple of days. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's coming. So she's a super social creature. And, uh, you know, she's missed being at school and going to practice and competitions with her cheer team mm -hmm. um, that she, you know, that's what she does. She, she likes triathlon, but she loves cheerleading. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, and she's really missed events. I mean, when I said, yeah, I think Westwood's not going to happen. She's like, oh, that's a bummer. But when I said Oliver wasn't yeah. going to happen, mm -hmm. there, there was tears. Oh. She was not happy. Yeah. Um, so, but she's keeping busy and she's keeping active. And, of course, she's keeping positive. Uh, she'll be back next year with us that's for sure yeah we're looking forward to seeing that ball of energy the big smile at the finish line and of course uh, <laughs> she's she's becoming probably one of the world's best heads or tails artists for the uh for the finish line and when we hand out those crazy awards whatever you happen to get for swag at the end of the race i mean that's uh that's a wonderful legacy that you know she's continuing with so we're looking forward to seeing her at the podium uh and all that fantastic yep She'll be back there next year with us. Well, uh, this is the segment of the podcast where we kind of give you a, a soapbox to talk about what triathletes should know. So what are what are two or three things that, you know, you have the, you, uh, you said the privilege of being a race director. Some of us would say the burden of being a race director. But, you know, all of that time spent with athletes, with stakeholders, in the back room when nobody's watching, sweating it out, uh, you know, sweating the details, which is really a big chunk of a race director's life. But um, what are two or three things that you would want to tell us as triathletes from the perspective as a race director? Yeah, I mean, like I said before, firstly, I want to say specifically, I mean, every year, but specific to right now, I just want to thank the athletes for the support through all of this. 
I do feel like this is a true privilege that I don't take for granted. And I want to, and I really want athletes this year, especially to know that the majority of event organizers are doing everything they can to do right by their athletes with the eye of making sure that, that these events are here for you to attend next year. Supporting independent and community events is huge. And if you, if you want there to be choice, you know, you need to be a community that supports and is understanding and does, you know, know that we're doing our best to move the ball forward here. I can tell you that there's not a group of race directors and organizers somewhere sitting on a, a tropical island, <laughs> sipping Mai Tais that after we, um, you know, after we went and rented our private jet to get there with all your <laughs> registration dollars from this year that, that we weren't able to give back for some events. That's not happening. We're all just doing the best that we can to do right by everybody and also trying to make sure that we're here next year. Uh, our calendar in BC for events for, for multi-sport in the last 10 years has seen a lot of them fall off the calendar. Mm -hmm. You know, and so if, if we want these events to continue, uh, you, need, you need to be supportive of them. And also, I think it's just really important, and this applies to just life in general, is you know, be kind in your communication. There's somebody on the other end reading those emails, and 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 this is not a great year. <laughs> no. Everybody's going through stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and and just remember that even if you aren't a, a big fan of what's happened or the choices that have been made, mm -hmm. that there's a way to convey that without uh, with being with, with with kindness still being in the forefront. So I, I would just. I would just say, and that's, that's not specific to me or dynamic race events. I'm just saying out there in the world uh -huh. right now, I think that that's, that would be really helpful. So it's uh, yeah. Race directing is a different, it's a different piece. There's uh, like you said, we have the off season where there's a lot of what would appear to be downtime, but it's really all the paperwork and the organizational piece. And then mock three with your hair on fire. Mm -hmm. <laughs> go, go, go from one event to the other and just implementing all the systems that we've, that we've put in place and, uh, and know that uh, when we're on site and we're, we're trying to produce those events and make sure that everyone crosses our finish line safely, that, yeah. uh, that, that smile we have on our faces there and, and, and we, we love to see you, but in the back of our minds, we also want to make sure that everyone's safe and, and know that, that that is that that is always something that we're thinking about that even though we're there to to produce a fun event and and be front facing with our athletes and engaging that it's a a very heightened day for us mm, yeah um that that involves a lot of a lot of stress and and we take that on and that's i think that's the piece is that it is a privilege, but it does come with a, a lot of a lot of risk and a lot of stress. And I can tell you, when we put athletes in the water, when that horn blows, uh, I don't. I hold my breath yeah. until our very last athlete comes mm -hmm. out, and I cross-reference numbers with the number of bikes in transition. Um, so just know that it's, it's not all fun games for us. Oh yeah, <laughs> we may we may look like we're having a great time and it's fun, but that's that's us blowing off steam of our stress. <laughs> uh huh. And I mean. In a lot of ways, I was talking to Joe about this a little bit earlier, and in ways, becoming a race director is a lot like being a politician because there's so many things that can happen that are totally beyond control, yet you're the person who gets assessed the blame. 
Of course. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that that's par for the course uh, in, in this position. And that's why it's so important to make sure that all of our systems and planning are in place before event weekend, because there's, you, you never have an event that everything went right. You have an event where, you know, it's, Everything that you planned, hopefully all that was executed properly, but there's so many variables that there's always something that comes up. You never get to the the finish line and be like, well, that went off without a hitch. No, there's always a hitch. You may not know about it, but there was a hitch. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, some some of the best things that a race director could ever do, um, a participant, an athlete, is not going to know that that was dealt with, right? (laughs) <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We don't, we don't, we don't uh, advertise, you know, the, the, we got to site race morning and our, and our course truck has a flat tire oh. and there's nowhere to change a flat, get a new tire in Oliver at three thirty in the morning oh. on race day. <laughs> yeah. These are, these are the unheard stories that only uh, you and your inner circle know about. And, and perhaps <laughs> some of our listeners right now, um, we're going to, you know, respect your time here because it's a beautiful day there in Calgary. Uh, but before we let you go, Angie, a question we traditionally ask everybody, and here it comes. So, Angie, if you could be an animal, an animal other than a human being, what animal would you be? And tell us why. Oh, um, that's a good question. I know that I know that for 2020, I feel like I'm a bit of a chameleon. Uh-huh. Um, but, do, but do I want to be one? Mm, no. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. A jaguar? Fast? Fast and fierce? Fast and fierce. Powerful, adaptive, (laughs) uh, cunning, of course. That works for me. I think I'll go with it. Jaguar it is. Well, Angie, thank you so much for not only taking, you know, the time here on a Saturday, but uh, for being part of the triathlon scene in the province of BC for as many years as you have, uh, you know, best of luck uh, getting through, I mean, your sacrifices, you know, going, you know, doing what it takes to put on races for the upcoming year. We just, you know, from the triathlon uh, community in BC, we just want to say thank you. Uh, Thank you so much, Kevin. And thanks to all the athletes. I miss you. Hi, I'm Mikey Ross, coach with Abbotsford Triathlon Club, and here's the FitSpeak Top 5 list. Every athlete eventually ends up having favorite workout clothes, favorite running trails, favorite biking routes, and favorite swimming lakes and beaches. Possibilities for our own Top 5 lists are endless. This week, I present my choices for Top 5 fill-me-up foods that go down well sometimes before, sometimes during, but always after a workout. If my swim, ride, or run has been particularly long or intense, I've been known to eat several of these top five foods all in one sitting. Recovering from too much recovery food is an experience unique to itself, but washing it all down with several cups of coffee works well for me. Here's the list. Number one, pancakes with banana slices. The smell of a stack of pancakes, at least three please, with strawberries or sliced bananas is all I can think of during the drive home from a long run. To satiate my sweet tooth, I smother them with maple syrup or homemade raspberry jam. Number two, 
several pieces of sourdough or whole grain toast with peanut butter, jam, and banana slices. A classic craving that I've maintained with stubborn tenacity all through the comings and goings of the many dietary trends that have marched through our athletic world, such as no fat, low fat, bread is bad, keto. My partner takes the time to add apple slices for added nutrients, but honestly, I'm too lazy to slice up an apple. Bananas are less work. Number three, chocolate milk and coffee. A huge cold glass of chocolate milk helps kickstart your physical recovery and feels so good going down. I chase cold chocolate milk with hot coffee. Why? I like the contrast of cold and hot, and caffeine re-energizes me too. To top it all off, I will down a whole banana. Surprised? Number four, a huge bowl of granola with milk and banana slices. Granola is packed with calories and the many micronutrients, vitamins, and minerals in the nuts and seeds aid in recovery. Number five, porridge, my favorite. It's funny how childhood memories are evoked by the stuff we eat. Rarely does a week go by where I haven't succumbed to the habit of a giant bowl of steaming oatmeal with a sprinkling of brown sugar. You can throw so many extras into it with minimal effort. Nuts, raisins, diced apples, flax, hemp seed. Some folks add milk. I prefer it straight up, or should we say straight down the hatch. Why the banana slices? Any way I can slide bananas into a meal works for me. I am quite simply bananas about bananas. For FitSpeak, I'm Mikey Ross. Here's your FitSpeak 106 Fit Tip of the Week. This one brought to us by Megan Keita and her book, How to Make Yourself Poop, and 999 Other Tips All Runners Should Know. With summer definitely here and the temperatures on the rise, many of us in the Fraser Valley are going to be running in the heat. Whether that's around Campbell Valley or the Vetter River, here's a few hydration tips to ponder before heading out for that 45-minute tempo session or maybe a two-hour long run for that ultra that actually just might be held later on this fall. Tip number one. First of all, she says, don't waste your time and money doing a detox. Keita notes that the 21st century human body is the product of hundreds of thousands of years of evolution. And you don't need to drink wine vinegar for a week or experiment with pine cone suppositories to cleanse your body of toxins so you can better absorb water. Folks that do, however, need to drink more water than the average runner are those who have had kidney stones and perhaps other kidney issues. So if this is not you, don't be replicating what your pet camel is doing. Tip number two, listen to your body. Trust your thirst. As a follow-up to point number one, that bit about us being the product of hundreds of thousands of years of evolution, we've developed a very reliable reminder system telling us when to drink water. It's called thirst. When you're thirsty, it's time to take a swig or a gulp from your water bottle and get back to running. There's a few exceptions to this, and one of them is when you're being a little bit impulsive and your short run all of a sudden has turned into long running, whether that's on purpose or by accident. Even if you're not thirsty at the time and you're passing a water fountain or a bathroom with running water, it's a good idea to drink some water. File that one under common sense. 
The final tip is that caffeine is your friend in moderation. And what does this have to do with hydration? Well, there used to be this myth that if you had caffeine before your run or bike or hike or whatever, that you would get dehydrated. Kita calls bullshit on this one and backs it up with current research that says because exercise sends the majority of blood flow to your legs and arms, it tends not to pool in your kidneys and you likely won't feel the diuretic effects until after you run. So go ahead and have your usual moderate amount of coffee or tea before you do the exercising. Running's a great sport year-round, and whether you do it on your treadmill or out on the roads and trails here in the Fraser Valley, even the heat of the afternoon, you can still have effective sessions. You don't need to detox your body to absorb hydration. You don't have to guzzle gallons of water before you head out there. And you don't have to give up your favorite caffeinated beverage before you run. Just throw on some protective eyewear, a styling hat, some sensible clothing, and listen to your thirst, and you'll be good to go. For the Fit Tip of the Week, I'm Kevin Hines. And that's it for another edition of FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. FitSpeak is brought to you by Wenting Cycle and Mission. Your Wenting's Word of the Week is Frame. Once again, your Wenting's Word of the Week is Frame. We're also brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. Whether your goals are iron, golden, or ultra, our experienced coaches and low client-to-coach ratio ensures you get the one-on-one time you deserve to achieve your potential. It's TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. See the link at the bottom of this page to book your free consultation and goal-setting session. I'd like to thank this week's guest, Angie Woodhead from Dynamic Race Events, and wish her and her crew the best of success in making it through this whole COVID-19 thing. Be listening next time on FitSpeak when we'll be FitSpeaking with swimming Shay Sation and recent high school graduate Shay Gaudet from Mission. For Kevin Watt, Mikey Ross, and Zach Neufeld, I'm Kevin Hines. Thanks for listening. <laughs>